This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger, and we're going to jump right back into the Gospel of John, ladies. We are in chapter 17, and we are nearing the end of this amazing book, this amazing account of Jesus' life. And because I feel like I've actually taken too many episodes already to go through this. Not that you can go through this too slowly. To be clear, this has been a very high-level overview walk through the the Gospel of John, hardly a deep, even verse-by-verse study. Um, I wanted to avoid missing the forest for the trees, um, so I didn't want to go too granular, uh, but you also don't want to go too high-level and just do the whole Gospel in one big... 20 minute swoop. Um, And so in an effort to not end up going too granular and missing the forest for the trees, I am going to try to speed it up over the next, I'd say three episodes. And we're just going to take a little bit bigger chunks than we've been taking. Um, Just because of the nature of events, the way things are happening now too, the, the gospel has sped up, right? You know, we're in these final hours of Jesus' life. So Hopefully by now you have your Bibles open to John 17. And this is the very familiar high priestly prayer. Jesus is with his disciples in the final hours before his arrest and crucifixion. And you know what? I'm just going to read this entire chapter. So if you don't want to hear that, go ahead and fast forward. That's all right. I won't hold it against you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So many truths right here in these first few verses. Jesus declaring his deity, his equality with God. He is God. He has existed from the beginning of time before the world even existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Okay, we're going to kind of race through this because I'm actually going to try to tackle chapter 18 here as well. But don't you love this prayer? And we see, yeah, you know, we pause there um, at verse 5, but you see here in verse 6 and following, we see, we hear Jesus praying for his disciples, very specifically for the 11, if you will, at this point. He's not lost, not one of them, except for the son of destruction, that's Judas. That was all foreordained so that the scripture may be fulfilled. And just look at some of his pleas. He's asking that the, the, the father would um, would keep them and that he would unite them. You know, he's saying, look, they're still in the world. I am no longer in the world. I'm coming to you, Father. Jesus knows what's going to happen. But they're still in the world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to protect them. And that's a pretty great prayer, considering what the disciples had coming down the pike, isn't it? And he prays for their unity as well. And then in verse 20, he's praying for us. I do not ask for these only, not just for these 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, given down through the ages and given down through the scriptures, the words of the disciples and those who learn from the disciples and the apostles and then down and down and down. And again, we see prayers for unity in here and I love the reason that Jesus is praying this, and since it's Jesus praying, it's got to be a pretty good reason. Verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. He's praying this as a means of evangelism to make known and to make very real the reality of what happens when you are in Christ. And I just think that's a, a fascinating fact. And it takes us back to kind of the mission statement of this whole gospel in chapter 20. 
Verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Back to that mission statement, and we'll look at that in an episode or two. So before we move on to chapter 18... Looking back here at these verses, which we just read, where Jesus is praying for the unity among believers, J.C. Ryle says, We can ask no stronger proof of the value of unity among Christians and the sinfulness of division than the great prominence which our master assigns to the subject in this passage. How painfully true it is that in every age divisions have been the scandal of religion and the weakness of the Church of Christ. How often Christians have wasted their strength in contending against their brethren instead of contending against sin and the devil. How repeatedly they have given occasion to the world to say, when you have settled your own internal differences, we will believe. All this we need not doubt the Lord Jesus foresaw with prophetic eye. It was the foresight of it which made him pray so earnestly that believers might be one. And I think in today's world, that's pretty important for us to consider. Rao goes on, Let the recollection of this part of Christ's prayer abide in our minds and exercise a constant influence on our behavior as Christians. Let no man think lightly, as some men do, of schism, or count it a small thing to multiply sects, parties, and denominations. These very things we may depend only help the devil and damage the cause of Christ. If it be possible, as much as lieth in us, let us live peaceably with all men. Romans twelve eighteen. Let us bear much, concede much, and put up with much before we plunge into secessions and separations. They are movements in which there is often much false fire. Let rabid zealots who delight in sect-making and party-forming rail at us and denounce us if they please. We need not mind them. So long as we have Christ and a good conscience, let us patiently hold on our way, follow the things that make for peace, and strive to promote unity. It was not for nothing that our Lord prayed so fervently that his people might be one. Sobering words for our time, a time when, quote-unquote, solid, doctrinally sound, using my air quotes, Christians are so quick to demonize one another for tertiary issues interesting for us to look back and see how Jesus prayed for us to be united in him. Why? So that the world may believe. We damage our witness when we go against what Christ has prayed here in this prayer. All right, we're going to move on to chapter 18. And here we're off to the Garden of Gethsemane. History began in a garden, and here we have the culmination, really, if you will, as um, redemption is being purchased for sinners, and Jesus prays here in the garden for this cup to be taken from him, and yet not your will, Father, but mine. And I'm not going to read through this chapter, ladies. I wanted us to focus on chapter 17 there. But we know these stories well, or these accounts well, uh, but go back and read them, please. Read read this account. Let me um, take just a moment here. Let's look at 
Let's uh, just start here in verse 2. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Ego eimi. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And I'm sure you've heard a sermon on that before. He asked them again, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I told you I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. And then we see Peter get all zealous, like Peter does. And Jesus is arrested. We move on to verse 15. We see that denial of Peter, denial of Jesus by Peter. Peter in all of his zeal and yet all of his cowardliness. And yet the way that God used Peter gives us encouragement to know that though we fail, though we are mere jars of clay, broken ones at that, God will still use us. We see the questioning of Jesus. We see more denials by Peter here in verse 25. We see Jesus taken to Pilate. And in verse 33, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber. And I'm always struck when Barabbas comes into the story, ladies, because I think to myself, I am Barabbas, you are Barabbas, Jesus died in our place. Going back here um, to J.C. Ryland, what he says when Jesus says to the to the soldiers, the band that Jesus, Ju the band that Judas brought with him. I can't talk today. Ryle says we are told that the first time our Lord said to the soldiers, "I am He," they went backward and fell to the ground. A secret, invisible power, no doubt, accompanied the words. In no other way can we account for a band of hardy Roman soldiers falling prostrate before the voice of a single unarmed man. 
the same miraculous influence which tied the hands of the angry crowd at Nazareth, which made the priests and Pharisees powerless at the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which stopped all opposition when the temple was purged of buyers and sellers, that same mysterious influence was present now. A real miracle was wrought, though few had eyes to see it. At the moment when our Lord seemed weak, he showed that he was strong. And then as Ryle speaks about these last few verses that we just read, he says, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. These famous words have been so often perverted and wrested out of their real sense that their true meaning has been almost buried under a heap of false interpretations. Let us make sure that we know what they mean. Our Lord's main object in saying my kingdom is not of this world was to inform Pilate's mind concerning the true nature of his kingdom and to correct any false impression he might have received from the Jews. He tells him that he did not come to set up a kingdom which would interfere with the Roman government. He did not aim at establishing a temporal power to be supported by armies and maintained by taxes. The only dominion he exercised was over men's hearts, and the only weapons his subjects employed were spiritual weapons. A kingdom which required neither money nor servants for its support was one of which the Roman emperors need not be afraid. In the highest sense, it was a kingdom not of this world. things to think on, ladies, as we continue this journey through John's gospel. We're running out of time, so for today's endorsement, I am going to go back to my tea addiction. Many of you know that I love tea. It's good for you. It's good for you. Um, black tea, green tea, white tea, herbals. I love them all. Unless I'm allergic to them, then not so much. So my recommendation for today, if you're a tea drinker, if you like fruity things, there is a tea called Fireberry, and this is made by Tiesta, T-I-E-S-T-A tea. So you can Google them, um, or you can go to equippingeve.com. I'll have a link there. And that's actually one of my favorite teas from Tiesta tea. So um, it's very fruity, it's caffeine free, uh, so and there's there's a lot of good fruits and antioxidants in there so you can drink that every few days and get some extra get a little extra oomph for your immune system or at least that's what I like to tell myself but it's very yummy it's rather tasty so that's my recommendation for today and as a parting thought ladies remember that Jesus is praying for you so the way that we saw him praying his high priestly prayer remember that Jesus intercedes for us even now so we saw how he prayed for his disciples we saw how he prayed for us for the future Christians who would come to faith through the words of his disciples by means of the words of his disciples perhaps is a better way of saying it but we We've seen how Jesus prays. It's written in black and white for us on the page. And Jesus is interceding for you even now. So what a thought, right? And how does that strengthen you? How does that strengthen me? How can we be encouraged by that reality today? All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.